Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Friday, December 29th, and it's also the last weekday of 2023. It was this day in 1978 that Ohio State coach Woody Hayes punched Clemson player Charlie Bauman, who'd intercepted an Ohio State pass during the Gator Bowl. Hayes was fired the next day. And on this date in 1989, Jane Pauley marked her last day as co-host of the Today Show. Her successor was Deborah Norville. But Pauley is still going strong each week on CBS News' Sunday morning. It's trivia time. On this date in 1955, a 13-year-old Barbara Streisand made her first recording. Can you guess the song she recorded? I'll have that answer coming up. But first, it's time to check on your first alert forecast. Good morning, everyone. Meteorologist Chris Holtzman here. We'll see plenty of sunshine for the day, an increase in cloud cover for the afternoon. A few of those clouds moving in, that's with an upper-level low. That will also bring our wind up. We could see gusts up to 30 miles per hour at times, with high temperatures only in the low 50s, so noticeably cooler compared to the past few days. No 60s or 70s on the map, and Future Tracker verifies there's that low moving in. We should be dry, but a couple of clouds will be moving into the area. I want to show you our wind gust forecast because, again, we are tracking those gusts up to 30 miles per hour times as we head into the afternoon. This will likely continue into Saturday as well. Tonight, 30s will be common. And notice our seven-day forecast as we head into the final weekend of 2023. We're looking at high temperatures in the 50s, and notice those overnight lows will be in the 30s. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. Andrews police are investigating a shooting that left a person hurt in an apartment complex. Officers responded to the Arbor Place Apartments around 420 yesterday afternoon to reports of a drive-by shooting. There they found a person shot in the leg. Witnesses told officers that a black or dark gray, possibly a Honda or Toyota, pulled up to the intersection of Oakland and Poplar Street, and that's when two men started firing into the parking lot. The extent of the victim's injuries is unknown at this time. We're working to get those details. And if you've got any information on this incident, you are asked to call Andrews PD at 843-264-5223. We're working to find out more about a crash involving a pedestrian that shut down part of Dorchester Road. Around 7.40 last night, the North Charleston Police Department posted to X saying that crash happened at the intersection of Dorchester Road and Dorset Avenue. There's no word on the extent of the injuries that that pedestrian suffered or what may have led up to the crash. We'll keep you updated as soon as more information becomes available. North Charleston officers also tell us a man is dead after a crash on Wednesday around noon. They say it happened on Rivers Avenue near the Gaslight Square Shopping Center. That victim was taken to the hospital where he later died that night. The Charleston County Coroner's Office has not released the man's identity. New data from the city of Charleston shows the number of houses and businesses damaged from that December 17th coastal storm. We saw nearly quadrupled the amount that was reported after Hurricane Idalia. Our Molly McBride breaks down that data and how the city says it'll use it moving forward. City officials tell me they'll use it to decide where to put stormwater projects and as background information if a property owner is interested in having their property bought by the city. The city tracks damage to homes and businesses in four categories. Affected, 
minor, major, and destroyed. After this storm, there were 200 buildings in the affected category, 97 in the minor category, and one in the major category. Now, for some context, after Adalia, there were only 60 affected and 17 minor. I spoke to one Market Street business owner whose store was entirely flooded from the storm. She tells me the amount of damage was unexpected. We did have a, a lot of damaged merchandise, especially the merchandise, of course, that was on the floor. To be a non-tropical event, it was um, a lot of water. Uh, it was unexpected. This damage data comes from the city's assessment team going door to door, people self-reporting online, or when people apply for a building permit to fix flooding damage. As Stemp Fountain says, is crucial. He encourages anybody currently working to repair flooding damage from the storm to apply for a building permit from the city to avoid being scammed. In Charleston, Molly McBride, Live 5 News. Well, it's that time of year again. The flip-flop drop at Folly Beach is back, and organizers are inviting you to come out and watch those giant flip-flops fall from the sky. Before the clock strikes midnight, officials want you to be aware of the change in the drop schedule this year. Live 5's Alicia Wimberly joins us on Folly Beach to explain what you need to know. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning, ladies. Now, Folly Beach officials say this drop made its mark being a one-of-a-kind experience, and they're all prepared for Sunday night. Folly Beach official Wesley Graham says they've already begun testing the flip-flops for Sunday night as the days get closer and closer for the Folly Beach New Year's celebration. Graham says this is a one of Folly Beach's most known events, and it's entering into its 14th year. He says the city is excited to showcase their community, and they invite everyone to come out and enjoy themselves. Now, in terms of program changes, Graham says due to high tide, the fireworks will set off at 7 p.m. this year, and it will be their only fireworks show. So just that one change. In previous years, the fireworks set off at midnight, and now he says they're trying to make sure families and the younger crowd can see the fireworks being shot off at the beach. Folly Beach has been growing in the best way we see people coming for all of our events, shopping, eating, um, just really getting to experience our community. So we're excited to bring visitors and just enjoy the new year. Now, those 10-foot illuminated flip-flops will be dropping on Center Street at the stroke of midnight. And, of course, officials want everyone to be safe celebrating the new year right here on Folly Beach. Reporting live on Folly Beach, Alicia Wimberly, Live 5 News. The family of a man who died on the Wando Bridge after a chase with deputies is wishing the information released about their loved one would have been handled differently. On September 8th, 37-year-old Brent Conrad died by suicide following that chase. Original reports from the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office stated Conrad fired shots at deputies in a shootout. But Ninth Circuit solicitor Scarlett Wilson later reported that Conrad had not fired at deputies at all. This updated information, Conrad's family says, made the grieving process that much harder. The family says he was dealing with a mental breakdown at the time and noted he had no criminal record and had never been in trouble with the law. The Berkeley County Sheriff's Office gave a statement in response to this story, saying in part, Unfortunately, in circumstances like this, the information we receive is fluid. We try to get the most accurate and quick information out to the public for the purposes of transparency. 
A man is behind bars following a manhunt and standoff in the Ravenel area yesterday. The Charleston County Sheriff's Office tells us that this man on your screen here, Anthony Hyatt, was wanted for distribution of methamphetamine and surrendered to authorities around 9 last night. Investigators first started looking for Hyatt around 1 p.m. They say he assaulted a police canine and ran away before being found in a trailer on Bertha Plowden Lane. Hyatt is currently being held at the Charleston County Jail for resisting arrests and cruelty to a police animal. The Berkeley County Sheriff's Office made an arrest in connection to a deadly double shooting. 20-year-old Isaiah Bennett is charged with two counts of murder in the deadly December 20th shooting at the Summer Creek Mobile Home Park in Somerville. Deputies found the first victim on the road and the second inside of a home. Bennett was booked into the Berkeley County Jail and is currently waiting for his bond hearing. As deputies continue to investigate the shooting, they're asking anyone with information to call the sheriff's office at 843-719-4465. The Berkeley County Sheriff's Office tells us it has seen a significant increase in deaths from drug overdoses this year. The county coroner says that as of not they confirmed 56 overdose deaths and anticipate having about 15 more once they finish toxicology reports. We're told the increase is not county specific and is seen as an issue across the state. Because of this, the Berkeley County Coroner's Office established an overdose fatality review board in June. It's met every month since. 30 different agencies are on that board tasked with finding what can be done to prevent further overdose deaths. Leaders with the State Department of Health and Environmental Control say South Carolina is one of two states with the highest number of flu cases in the country. Experts say most people who get the flu, COVID, RSV, or some other respiratory virus this year will recover just fine. However, 12 South Carolinians have died this flu season alone. Those most at risk are babies, children, pregnant women, and the elderly. Here's what DHEC recommends you do if you start feeling the symptoms of a respiratory illness. If you have symptoms of of respiratory illness that you get tested and stay away from others while you're symptomatic uh, so that you don't make other people sick. Um, You can't tell the difference between COVID and flu um, just by your symptoms. Uh, A test is the way to do that. And there are treatments for both COVID and flu that will shorten the duration of illness and also shorten the length of time that you can make other people sick. To help protect yourself, doctors say in addition to getting a vaccine, you should wash your hands, wear a mask in public places, Cover your mouth and nose when you cough or sneeze and stay home if you do get sick. Asthma patients, listen up. Doctors are warning about a big change coming to inhalers. Starting January 1st, the asthma inhaler Flovent, made by GSK, will disappear from pharmacy shelves. Physicians say the authorized generic version taking its place will work just as well, but it doesn't appear to be covered as widely by insurers. Doctors are urging patients to take action now to get new prescriptions if they're needed and sort out any coverage issues. Flovent is reportedly being discontinued due to Medicaid rebate changes, forcing the company to pay large penalties for hiking prices. It turns out a commonly taken medication could be contributing to miscarriages in pregnant women. A study published in JAMA Psychiatry found pregnant women who took benzodiazepines, often used to treat anxiety and insomnia, had a 70% increased risk of miscarriage. That's even after accounting for other factors, including genetics. Researchers say healthcare providers need to carefully consider the risk-benefit ratio for pregnant patients. 
New research shows that there are some key differences in how you visit your doctor. According to the University Health Network, virtual doctor visits are much more beneficial when having them with a family doctor. Researchers say patients who get virtual care from doctors outside of their family care team were 66% more likely to visit the ER within a week of their visit. The study also shows the doctor-patient relationship makes a difference in the quality of care patients receive. Today stands to be one of the busiest days at airports nationwide this season, but it's expected to get even busier over the weekend. As a lot of travelers return home after the holiday rush, TSA is expecting to screen more than 2.6 million people at airport security checkpoints across the country today. The FAA says the busiest day will be tomorrow with more than 48,000 flights expected. TSA recorded passenger volumes averaging nearly 2.5 million people since December 20th. Boeing is urging airlines to inspect all 737 MAX airplanes for possible loose or missing parts. Yesterday, the Federal Aviation Administration said inspections involve looking for a possible loose bolt in the rudder control system. The FAA says the move stems from two incidents on two separate aircraft involving one involving a missing nut, the other a loose nut. The inspection takes about two hours. The 737 MAX model was previously grounded for nearly two years after two fatal crashes that killed 346 people. Well, now to the campaign trail. As the Palmetto State gears up for the 2024 presidential primaries, we do want to remind you of a few upcoming deadlines. Yeah, you'll need to know these if you do plan on voting. The registration deadline for the Democratic presidential primary is next Thursday, January 4th. Early voting runs from Monday, January 22nd to Friday, February 2nd. You can vote anytime between 8.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Election day is February 3rd, with voting open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. that day. The deadline for absentee ballot applications is January 23rd, and those are due by 7 p.m. on February 3rd. On the Republican side, the registration deadline is Thursday, January 25th. Early voting is Monday, February 12th through February 22nd. Election day is February 24th, with voting open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The deadline for an absentee ballot application is February 13th. Those are due by 7 p.m. on February the 24th. You can find a link to register to vote as well as your local polling location on our website. Just look under the big red box. Yesterday, the South Carolina Republican Party officially certified seven candidates for the primary ballot. The list features Ryan Binkley, Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, David Stuckenberg, and former President Donald Trump. Again, that primary is scheduled for February 24th. Maine's top election official has removed former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 primary ballot. The decision is based on the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban, which Colorado used to remove Trump from its ballot last week. A bipartisan group of former state lawmakers filed the challenge against Trump's inclusion on the ballot. Yesterday's decision can be appealed in state court, and it's all but assured that Trump's team will challenge it. But most legal experts believe the U.S. Supreme Court will soon settle the issue for the entire nation. 
CNN is reporting it's received emails and recordings revealing former President Trump's campaign race to get fake elector ballots to Washington and a final push to overturn the 2020 election. Two days before the January 6th Capitol riot, Trump operatives tried to get copies of the fake ballots from Michigan and Wisconsin to former Vice President Mike Pence in time for him to preside over the Electoral College certification. Details of the apparent push to deliver the fake ballots largely come from pro-Trump attorney Kenneth Cheesborough and his recent interview with Michigan investigators. In October, Cheesborough pleaded guilty to a conspiracy charge in Georgia. Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie is criticizing rival Nikki Haley for not saying that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. During a campaign stop Wednesday, Haley was questioned about the cause of the Civil War, to which she answered it was about the government interfering in people's freedoms. Yesterday, she backtracked to say, of course, the Civil War was about slavery, but it was more than that. Christie criticized her response. She's smart and she knows better. But for purposes of this race, the reason she did it is just as bad, if not worse. And she had everybody concerned about her candidacy. She did it because she's unwilling to offend anyone by telling the truth. The South Carolina Democratic Party also released a statement on Haley's initial failure to mention slavery, saying in part, there isn't a single South Carolinian shocked by Nikki Haley's refusal to define the Civil War as what it was, rooted in slavery and keeping humans as property. Because we're all too familiar with her record defending the Confederacy for over a decade, Haley's weaponized the same dangerous whitewashing to pander to the extremist fringes of her base, and that's the same MAGA agenda we'll reject in 2024. Happy game day one last time to college football fans in South Carolina. Well, at least to those who are Clemson fans. The Clemson Tigers play the Kentucky Wildcats today at noon in Jacksonville, Florida. Our summer Hector is in Jacksonville and has more on one Charleston native who's had quite the unexpected season for the Tigers. Hey, good morning from outside of Everbank Stadium here in Jacksonville, Florida. And as the Clemson Tigers prepare to play the Kentucky Wildcats in their final game of the college football season, it also marks the end of a college career for real this time for Clemson kicker Jonathan Weitz, a career he thought ended a year ago. We've heard the story since September. Clemson struggling in the kicking position. Head coach Davo Sweeney found out Jonathan Whites had a year of eligibility, called him up, and Whites was kicking for Clemson that next Saturday. Now the Porter Gout alum says he was raised a Clemson fan, grew up dreaming of playing for the Tigers. And after four seasons on the team, he was ready to start a new career in New York. But he says when he got the call from Davo Sweeney asking if he had another year of eligibility and if he wanted to come back, he said he never doubted his ability to come back here and get it done. So it's really just a dream come true. It's surreal. Um, when I see my name and you know the newspaper articles and uh, just being able to you know put that my family name out there like that, it's been an honor. And to do it for Clemson, I mean, it's a dream come true, honestly. And after years as a backup to BT Potter, Whites never had a shot for that starting position. He, he talked about how special it was getting a second chance here. And even throughout the season, he said he hasn't taken anything for granted. Right up until practicing with this team on Christmas Day, something he said he never thought he would miss until he looked back on his career with Clemson.
I know I have all the support in the world from my family around the country, so I'm, I'm excited to see my parents when they get here, though. And White said his job at Ally Financial in New York still set and ready to have him when he comes back. But first, one last game out here. Now, you might remember he was the difference maker in the Carolina game, kicked his three career-long field goals all against South Carolina in that win over the Gamecocks. We'll see if he has one last performance like that one in him here in Jacksonville in the Gator Bowl. For now, for here in Jacksonville, I'm Summer Hector, Live 5 Sports. At the top of the show, I told you Barbara Streisand recorded her very first number on this date in 1955. She was just 13 years old. The song was often credited as singer Alice Faye's signature song, but has also been recorded by the likes of Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Doris Day, and Rosemary Clooney. The song was You'll Never Know. Celebrating birthdays this Friday, actor Ted Danson is 76. Comedian Paula Poundstone is 64. Actor Jude Law is 51. And country singer Jessica Andrews is 40. Thanks so much for joining us for Morning Y'all. Powered by Live 5 News, we want to wish you a safe and happy new year. I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you next year. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.